There's something about that name, that is for sure. I want you to take your Bibles tonight, if you will, please, and turn to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, and specifically Deuteronomy chapter number 16. And I know we've taken some time for some other things tonight, and so uh, I'll do my best to keep this uh, brief, and we'll try to get you out of here about the same time we normally do. And uh, anyway, several points that I wanted to give you tonight, but this first point just kept getting longer and longer and longer, so I'm just going to give you one, one point tonight. Uh, I warn you, it comes with a few sub-points, all right, but, uh, but just one major point that I'm going to give you tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 16 in your Bibles, and when you find your place, if you're able to stand, let's all stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 16 and uh, verse number 11, the Bible says, and thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite that is within thy gates and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are among you in the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name there. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt and thou shalt observe and do these statutes Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. After that, thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine. And thou shalt rejoice in the feast, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are within thy gates. Seven days shalt thou keep a solemn feast unto the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord shall choose. Because the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thine increase and in all the works of thine hands, therefore thou shalt surely rejoice. Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose in the feast of unleavened bread, in the feast of weeks, and in the feast of tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. You may be seated tonight. And I want to talk to you about this subject tonight, what's so wonderful about worship. We've been here for the last few weeks, and, uh, and I, I, I sort of thought maybe we would finish it on our last go-round, but boy, God's just uh, been giving me some wonderful things that I want to share with the church tonight and, uh, and so let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us, and we'll jump right into the Bible study tonight. Keep your Bibles open, if you will. We're going to use our Bibles uh, quite a bit tonight. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, thank you for your goodness and blessings. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Oh, God, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would knit our hearts together tonight. And Lord, I know that on Wednesday night especially, Father, we're cumbered about many things, and that uh, we've worked We've had, the Lord, the pressures of work and producing and uh, trying to get the quota out. And, and then, Lord, uh, for some, they've had to rush home and try to put together a fast meal and, uh, Lord, try to get here on time. Then there's homework. And, Lord, there's, just, there's a lot of things. And I certainly understand that tonight. But, Lord, we also know that Wednesday night is such an important part of our week. And so, Lord, I pray now that you would, Lord, clear the way for your will to be accomplished. 
Father, I, I do believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that you gave me this message in a very clear way tonight. And, and so, Lord, I pray that you'll bless our discussion. And, Father, I pray it'll make sense. I pray, uh, Lord, the best we know how, we plead the blood of Jesus uh, over this service. And, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bind the powers of darkness. Lord, keep them away. Keep them out. And, God, I sure pray for power tonight. I pray that you would anoint me Lord, I want to be a blessing. I want to be what I say tonight. I want it to be interesting. Lord, more than anything, I want it to glorify you and to please you. And so, Lord, bless our, our time and our topic tonight. And, Lord, I pray that we'll go away being able to say it was good to be in the house of the Lord. So, Lord, wake us up now and get us ready to receive something from your word. We pray for your power and blessing. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen. What's so wonderful about worship? We've been using the Old Testament quite a bit, and uh, this might be a, a, a topic that you would think that we would be using the New Testament a little bit more, but we've been really basing uh, our study out of the Old Testament, and, and, and uh, just in case you've not been here for this series, uh, this is sort of what we've been talking to you about. Why does the Bible, and specifically the Old Testament, talk so much about worship? Uh, and, and of course, in the Old Testament, the worship of the Hebrew people. And it goes into so much detail, fine detail. Uh, it, it talks about that. And so that's what we're talking about a little bit. We're talking about uh, this thing of worship. Now, several things we learned here. Uh, concerning worship, number one, we said that worship was enormous, enormously important. And we said the reason for that was that worship encompassed a picture of the gospel. If you go back and study the Old Testament worship out, New Testament worship, by the way, the same. But uh, all of it was a picture, it was a picture of the gospel. We talked about the Old Testament tabernacle and how uh, everything in the Old Testament tabernacle was a type of Christ. It was a type of the gospel. It's a type of, of redemption. And so worship encompassed a picture of the gospel. Then we said that worship encouraged the presence of the Lord. Uh, and we talked about that Shekinah glory. We talked about the cloud settling over the tabernacle, the presence and the glory of the Lord coming into the house of the Lord. And so because of that, worship was enormously important. Then we said this, number two, we said that worship was an event. And I, boy, I remember that, that, uh, that study and I enjoyed that study. Worship was an event. You'll never find a place in the word of God where worship was ever just thrown together haphazardly. Uh, now, there, we, we, we brought out a couple, we brought out a few, uh, but God judged those times. That was never God's, never God's will for worship just to be thrown together. By the way, it's not God's will today that worship be thrown together, that we just have a service and nobody knows what they're doing, no, nobody knows what they're singing, nobody knows what they're preaching. No, no. Worship, we found this in the Word of God, that worship was always planned, worship was prayed over, worship was prepared, worship was practiced, worship was purposeful, and so it was, uh, it, it, it was an event uh, and so should it be today. And then last of all, boy, I, I so enjoyed this, this uh, topic. We said that worship was enjoyed. As you go through the word of God and you study out worship, Old Testament, New Testament, worship was something that was always enjoyed. We said that worship was never designed to be endured. It was never designed to be endured. And yet what we're finding today all across America are people just going to a church and they just endure it for 30 or 45 minutes. And be honest with you, they dread coming and they can't wait to get out. 
Uh, and listen, that is never, never, never the way God meant it to me. Worship was to be enjoyed. But I want to I wanna get into some brand new material tonight. Not only uh, was worship enjoyed, and worship was enormously important, and worship, uh, uh, was, uh, worship was an event. But how about this tonight? Number, uh, number next, number four, worship was expected. Worship was expected. Three times a year, the Hebrew people were, tr- were expected to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate times of organized and corporate worship. Now, we saw that tonight. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse number 16. The Bible says, Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in the Feast of Weeks, in the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. And so three times a year at least, three times a year, they were to come for corporate worship and they were to travel up to Jerusalem. Once for Passover or what? It's known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, also for the Feast of Weeks and for the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, let me say, at least let me give you a little snippet about those things. Each of these three feasts, the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles required that all able-bodied Jewish males travel to Jerusalem to attend the feast and other and offer sacrifices. All three of these feasts required that first fruit offerings be made at the temple as a way of expressing thanksgiving for God's provision. First of all, the Feast of First Fruits, or what we would call unleavened bread. It celebrate, was celebrated at the time of the Passover, and it included the first fruits of the barley harvest. And then there was the Feast of Weeks. It was a celebration in which all the first fruits of the wheat harvest were brought. And then the Feast of Tabernacles involved the offerings of the first fruits of the olive and the grape harvest. Now again, uh, you say, Pastor, that didn't do anything for me. Well, hang in there with me because I I don't think you have any problem understanding what I'm getting ready to teach us on here in just a few moments. Uh, But God commanded corporate worship and, and they were to travel up and they were to worship the Lord and they were to go to uh, Jerusalem. Now, let me give you some things God commanded concerning their worship. I had several. I'm just going to give you the first point tonight and then I'll mention a few things about that point. Number one was this. The people were expected to come to a place. The people, when we talk about worship, the people were expected to come to a place. Now, I'm going I'm to show you several verses tonight. In fact, it's almost like the Lord is being almost overly repetitive, but we know the Lord never does anything overly. And so look at your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 16. Some of the, these verses we read and some we didn't. Deuteronomy 16, verse number two. The Bible says, thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God of the flock and, and the herd. Look at this. In the place which the Lord shall choose to place his name there. Skip down to verse number five, same chapter. Verse five, thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, but at the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name in. There thou shalt sacrifice the Passover even at the going down of the sun at the season that thou camest forth out of Egypt. Skip down to verse number seven. He says, and thou shalt roast it, talking about the offering, and thou shalt roast and eat it, in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, and thou shalt turn in the morning and go unto thy tent. Skip down to verse number 11. 
uh, and thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite that is within thy, within thy gates and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are among you in the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name there. Skip down to verse number 16. Uh, three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. Now again, boy, uh, I don't even have to teach this. This is just very apparent what the Lord is trying to tell us here, that they were commanded to come for corporate worship. There was a certain time they were commanded to come, but God said, I want you to come to a designated place for this time of worship. Now, we know today in New Testament times that place is the church. That's where we're to come. Now, back in that day and time when they went for corporate worship, they were to go up to Jerusalem. That was the place that God designed for them to worship. Now, were they allowed to worship? They were allowed to build an altar uh, and they were allowed to do some private worship, uh, just personally. But concerning corporate worship and worship together, uh, God had a, had a designated place for them to come and for them to worship. Now, let me tell you what's really interesting about this study, church, is that when, when you begin to read through the Old Testament, you'll find this, that Israel's decline, when Israel began to go down, Israel's decline began in part when the people no longer went to God's designated place to worship. Now, I want to show you that because it's just, again, it's just super interesting. Turn your Bibles tonight, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12, this is not the only place, but this is, but this is at least one example of what I'm talking about tonight. 1 Kings chapter 12. And so, again, understand something. God, God didn't make this complicated. It wasn't hard to understand. Uh, God, God set it out you know, in, in detail. And God said, here's the thing. I want you to come and I want you to come to a place and I want you to worship in this place. I don't want you to worship within your gates concerning corporate worship. I want you to come to a designated place. That designated place is Jerusalem. I want all the able-bodied males to come. Often more than that came, uh, families would come. But those able-bodied males, uh, they had to come. Now, there were times when the, uh, when the women folk uh, just had a baby or just gave, forth, uh, just gave birth. Maybe they were uh, nursing a child and that trip would have been very hard for them. And so they weren't necessarily required. We'll get into that later on. That's a whole different subject that we're going to get into here just a little uh, a little bit later on uh, but but it was required that they come now look at first Kings chapter 12 verse number 26 the bible says in jeroboam said in his heart now here's what's happened the, the nation of israel has split and 10 tribes went one way and two tribes went the other and uh, verse number 26 and jeroboam said in his heart now shall the kingdom return to the house of david if this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the lord at jerusalem then shall the heart of this people turn again unto the Lord, uh, lowercase l, by the way, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel, and watch what happened, church, and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. Look at verse 30. I've got this underlined. And this thing became a sin. 
For the people went to worship before the one, even a Dedan. And he made a house of high places and, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the 15th day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. Boy, this is just so interesting. The word is just so interesting. And so he, he ordained a feast, verse 32, like unto the feast that is in Judah. Was it the feast? Oh, no. It was like unto the feast. That was in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the 15th day of the eighth month and the month which he devised of his own heart. Interesting. And ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. Now, what we learn from this scripture is that Jeroboam changed a number of things about worship. Number one, he changed the object of worship. They were no longer worshiping Jehovah God, they're worshiping calves. By the way, does that sound familiar? We know, we remember, uh, remember another time when uh, they were worshiping calves. And so he changed the object of worship, not only that, but we see here that Jeroboam changed the leaders of worship. He put in his own men, men who were not ordained of God, men who were not called of God, Men who were not in that Aaronic line, he put those men in as priests. Not only that, but we notice, in, we notice in verse 32 that Jeroboam changed the time of worship. But I also want you to notice in verses 29 and 30 that Jeroboam changed the place of worship. And so God, just very simply, God came to his people and said, listen, I want you to be involved in corporate worship and I want you to come to a designated place. I do not want you to stay within your gates. I don't want you to build, you know, build an altar for corporate worship. I want you, all the able-bodied men and those that are able to come, I want you to come up to Jerusalem to a designated place to worship. Now we notice that Jeroboam changed that. His goal was to keep people away from Jerusalem. Now he was afraid that the people would come back to King Rehoboam. But we also find out here that this was a move to make worship more convenient. And so Jeroboam said to the people, man, it's just way too hard for you to go all the way to Jerusalem. It's a long trip. You know, uh, boy, sometimes it gets really hot in, in uh, Israel. And I mean, it's a long journey and you're going to have to pack and you're going to have to get food together. You've got to make sure you're, you've got plenty of water because it's desertous. And, and you, know, you know, folks, it's just way too complicated for you to go all the way up to Jerusalem. Uh, and so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to, instead of going to Jerusalem, we're just going to stay right here close by and we're going to worship right here close by. And, uh, and, and this is what he was saying, worship won't be a huge sacrifice at all. You can come as you are. You can leave like you were. It won't require much time. It won't require much travel. And, uh, oh, I know God, that's not what God said, but this is what I've come up with. Oh, I understand that God has a designated place. I understand that God said we're to go to Jerusalem and that's where we're to worship and we're to go there at least three times a year and we're to worship there, but this is what I'm gonna come up with. And so we understand that Jeroboam completely changed the place of worship to Bethel and to Dan. But that's not what God said. That was never God's will. Now, church, I want to show you something else here. We notice that, that following this model, we also notice that the people got to the place where they no longer 
worshiped even in Bethel or Dan. They just began to worship wherever they wanted to worship. You're in, uh, you're in 1 Kings chapter 12. Turn over a couple pages to 1 Kings chapter 14. 1 Kings 14, and look at verse 23. And this is what happens when you change God's word and you change God's direction. And so Jeroboam says, we're just going to make it convenient and you can worship here instead of going to Jerusalem. But look what happened in 1 Kings 14, verse 23. The Bible says, for they, the children of Israel, for they also built them high places and images and groves. Look at this church. On every high hill and under every green tree. Interesting as well. In verse 24, the Bible says, and there were also sodomites in the land. Isn't that amazing? And so people got to the place where their mentality was this. I don't have to go to God's designated place to worship. Now, just in case you're seeing a correlation here, we're there today. And people are saying this, and I know this is, you know, this is controversial. I'm going to be honest. I don't know why it's controversial because it's right there in the word of God. And people say things like this, well, you know what? I don't think, I don't think that I have to go to church to worship. Well, I'm glad that you think you don't have to go to church to worship. It's not what God thinks. Amen. Now, can you worship at your home? You, you can and you should. Can you worship in your truck? You can and you should. Can you have family worship with your family and get your kids together and, and sit down and read the scriptures and pray? You can and you should. But this is what I'm saying. There is, a, there, there is a precedent that's being set forth here in the word of God. And God says, I want you to worship as a family. I want you to worship in private. But God is saying there are times when God's people are to come together for corporate worship. And God said, I have a designated place that I want you to come. But we're living in that culture and people say, well, you know what? I don't have to go to church. I can worship at Carowinds. No, you can't. You say, yes, I can't. Listen, you can argue all day long with God. Now, if you want to go to Carowinds and, and worship the Lord on the roller coaster, have at it. But when corporate worship is going on, you shouldn't be on the roller coaster at Carowinds. Because God has a designated place that we're to come and worship. People say, well, you know, preacher, I can worship. I can worship just as good on the lake while I'm bass fishing. That's me. I'm worshiping God. Amen, Brother Steve. Yeah. Brother Steve loves to bass fish. Now, if Brother Steve wants to, if he wants to go down to Lake Norman to bass fish, and I hope he worships the Lord, you know, and he catches that five-pounder, I hope he, hope he worships God. And, uh, but truth of the matter is, when we're having corporate worship and the people of God are coming together to worship God, you know what? We really have no business being on the lake bass fishing, and we have no business being at Carowinds, and we have no business being at the park, and we have no business taking a walk. Now, here's the thing. You can do all those things, but this is what I'm saying. That was never God's plan. That's why, and a different day today, but that's why, although live stream is good, live stream, live stream should never replace the place. 
Now, I understand there are people who have, who have to watch by way of live stream. I get it. I understand there are invalids and, and people are, are sick. And, and by the way, that's why we keep that thing going because people are sick sometimes. And we have folks in the nursing home and we just, you know, all kind of different things. Folks with cancer, folks taking chemotherapy. I get it. I understand all that. But I'm just saying that, that, that the live stream, as good as the live stream is, there is nothing that ever ought to take the place that God has designated for worship. Now, let me say several things about this place of worship tonight. How about this? Number one, this place, I'm talking about this designated place, this place is sanctified for worship. Why, why is it so important that people come to the place of worship? Why is it important, pastor, that we come to the place of worship? Well, number one, this place is sanctified for worship. Listen, this place that you're in right now has a very specific purpose. Listen, on the most part, and I know we have the young'uns are running around outside sometimes and they're playing, and we have a playground over here, and they're running around playing, having a good time. I, I, and by the way, all that's in order. But on the most part, this place was never designated to be a play place. Every once in a while, we'll get together and we'll enjoy a meal together and fellowship. And, uh, and by the way, nothing, not one thing wrong with that. But this, this place was never really uh, designated to be a place for dining or a place for sleeping. You see, this place is viewed as the house of God. It's viewed as the house of prayer. It's viewed as the house of worship. And by the way, uh, since I'm saying that, let me just mention a couple things here real quickly, which is why it ought to be respected. The house of God ought to be respected. Why? Because this, this place, there's something different about this place. This is not the romper room. This is not the school cafeteria. This is God's house. And I know, I understand you say, Pastor, that's old school. I know it's old school, but it might not hurt us to get back to that old school preaching again. We were doing a whole lot better off, friend, when we were teaching these kind of things and preaching these kind of things than we are today. People say, you know what, Pastor, you need to get with it. You need to get with the times. And I want to ask them people sometimes, how's it going for you? How's it going with all the newfangled things that you're doing? How's it going? If all these newfangled things that we're bringing into church and all this new kind of worship, if it's so great, why are we in such a mess? When I was a boy, listen, when I was a boy, you didn't have to walk through a metal detector. They didn't have drug sniffing dogs. We carried a pocket knife every day of our life. We even had a gun in the back of our truck. And nobody ever said a word about it. You know why we never thought about a kid coming in and, and shooting up the place and killing innocent kids? Uh, back in that day and time, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to know this. There were times when you could go to the local church and they didn't lock the doors. You could just walk in. Churches left their doors unlocked. You could just walk in. And by the way, nobody ever worried about anything. Didn't have to worry about vandalism. Didn't have to worry about anything getting stolen. And they knew that from time to time, people wanted to come by the house of the Lord and just come in and pray. And so they left the doors unlocked. You can't do that now. Man, you gotta lock them up with a bolt and key and you gotta put security systems in and cameras in and all kinds of things. I'm just saying this. It wouldn't hurt us to get back to some of this old kind of stuff we used to preach a long time ago. It ought to be respected. Our behavior ought to respect this place. Hey, parents, teach your children this is not the gymnasium. This is not the school playground. 
This is the house of God. And so, and, and again, I know, listen, teach your young people that when they walk into this place, listen, have a good time, enjoy worship, but teach your kids that, that this is the house of the Lord and it ought to be respected like it is. Several years ago, not several years ago, many years ago, my wife and I, we're going to you full of Baptist church. We're not married at the time. We're just boyfriend and girlfriend, maybe. And uh, our church, and our church, here's the pulpit, and there were just two, two rows and uh, right over here to the preacher's left was a little foyer that had bathrooms in it and a water fountain. And then back behind that was the nursery. And one day in between Sunday school and preaching, my brother and I both showed up in that little foyer and we both wanted water at the same time. Now, my brother's five years older than I am. By the way, he's watching the services and, uh, but I, I, I can't remember whether it was him getting a drink or me getting a drink, but whoever it was, we were bumping each other out of the, out of the way. And he got mad and I got mad, man, we got in each other's face and we started, you know, we was getting ready to go at it. And just about the time we're getting ready to go at it, my dad walked in. And my, my dad, listen, you say, preacher, <laughs> were you fearful of your dad? Oh yes, good neighbor. You better believe it. My dad, he knew how to put the fear of God in us. And I can't remember all that happened that bit. I remember one thing. My dad came over there and man, he set us in our place and he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you one thing. He said, you won't be coming here and acting like that. This is the house of God. And when you walk in here, you're gonna respect this place. And I mean, buddy, he straightened us up. And you know, church, it'd be a great, great day if we got back to that, that place when we started respecting the house of the Lord. Now, I'm not gonna have you turn over there, but in Mark chapter 11, and, and, and people are always talking about how peaceful the Lord is, just peaceful. Peaceful. And they think, you know, the Lord walked around in a long kimono and, uh, you know, he had his hands, always had his hands together. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, my son. Ominous, dominos, ominous. God bless you, my son. And uh, they think that's the Lord. That's not the Lord in Mark chapter 11. In Mark chapter 11, the Bible says that Jesus and his disciples went up to Jerusalem. And when Jesus walked into the temple, the Bible says that they were buying and selling. They had made it a place of commerce. And man, they, they, I mean, animals were running all through that place. And they were selling doves and I mean, all kind of things. And man, they were making money hand over foot. And the Bible says that Jesus made him a whip. He made him a scourge. And, and our Bible tells us that, that, the, that the Son of God went through the temple. He began to turn uh, tables over. He began to spread the money out. And little by little, he began to run all of those bunch of car carpetbaggers out of the house of God. Why? I'll tell you why. Because they got to the place where they no longer respected the house of God. And so our behavior ought to respect this place. I'll tell you something else quickly. And I'll just hit this and go to the next thing. Our appearance ought to respect this place. Now you have to be real careful how you teach on this. I, I get it, church. Everybody's best is something different. I, that, that's fine. I don't know. I, I don't know what kind of shoe. I think these are Stacy Adams. I'm not sure. It's the kind of shoe I usually wear. Stacy Adams. Not everybody has a Stacy Adams. You know what? Your best. Your best might be Skechers. But I would say this: when you come to this place, you ought to wear your best. Now, if the best, if the best you have is some uh, 
Carhartt bib overalls, that's the best you got. You ought to wear your best. I'm, so don't, don't go away from here saying that I'm preaching. Everybody's supposed to come here wearing a tie and wearing a suit. I'm not saying that at all. Some people don't have a tie. And some people don't have a suit. And some folks don't have dress shoes to wear. And so I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying this, that when we come to the house of God, and I understand too, this is Wednesday night, and some of you, you know, you slid in here on two wheels, you just came straight from work, came in your work clothes, I get it, I understand all that. But I'm just saying on a regular, on a normal basis, uh, that when you come to the house of God, man, your appearance ought to respect the house of the Lord. Now you say, preacher, why are you saying that? I'll tell you why. Because it is a shame what's going on in church today. It's a shame. And I know I sound like a dinosaur, but that's all right. I mean, preachers showing up in Bermuda shorts and flip-flops and tank tops. And people say, preacher, you don't need to preach on that. Too late. I'm going to be honest with you, church. I got a real problem with that. And I want to tell you why I have a, a real problem with that. It's because... Here's the thing. Most of those same people, if they received a call today on their phone and the other end of the phone line said, yes, sir, this is the secretary of the president at the White House. And the president of the United States has requested your appearance in the Oval Office in two days. Do you think for a half of a second that those people would show up to the Oval Office in a pair of cut-off Bermudas and a pair of flip-flops? I don't think so. You know what they do? They go, they go look like something. You know why? Because they're going to the office of the President of the United States of America. Let me tell you something. When I walk in here on Sunday, it's more important than the Oval Office. Man, are you hearing me tonight, church? Man, I'm not standing before Joe Biden tonight. When I come in here, I'm standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And by the way, he is supreme and all power and all authority has been given to him. I'm telling you, and when I come here, listen, your best is different than my best. And, and so listen, here's the thing. You know what your best is, but I'm just saying when we come here, it ought to be a special event. And we at least ought to comb our hair and fix ourselves up. Because we're coming to God's house. Amen. Hallelujah. And so this place is sanctified for worship. How about this quickly? We'll give you these and we're going to go. Number two, this place is selected for fellowship. This place. Why, why is it important that we come to the place? Because this place is selected for fellowship. Fellowship was a huge part of the worship experience. Even if you go back into Exodus and Deuteronomy and some of these Old Testament books, uh, that, that Old Testament worship, one of, the, one of the important things about the Old Testament worship was fellowship. In fact, we said a while ago that it was required of all able-bodied men to travel up to Jerusalem. But often, you know what happened? Often, the whole family went. In fact, not only did the whole family go up, if they didn't have little tiny infants and things like that, not only did the whole family go up, but families who lived apart would have meeting places. They'd have a meeting spot. 
and maybe there's a family that lives over in Cana, and there's a family that lives over here in Tiberias, and, uh, and they're all traveling up to Jerusalem, and this is what they would, they would send word, and they would say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to meet at this specific point in the road, and then we'll all travel up to Jerusalem together. And as they traveled up to Jerusalem, you know what they did? Man, they sang, and they ate, and they fellowshiped, and they quoted Scripture. Fellowship. By the way, that's still going on today. Somebody says, preacher, I'm just going to go to the park and fellowship with the squirrels, you know. <laughs> Amen, Miss Kitty. Miss Kitty loves squirrels. Now, if Miss Kitty wants to go to the park and feed squirrels six days a week, she can do that. But on that seventh day, on Sunday, on Sunday, we're to come together for corporate worship. Why? Fellowship. To, to come together and be with our church family. And by the way, it's what people are missing nowadays. They're missing that fellowship. I know we're out of time. This is just one point, amen? Hey, the pl this place is selected for fellowship. Let me just give you this one real quickly. This place is supposed to be holy. It's supposed to be holy. Now, I'm just gonna hit this and go to the last point. We're done. It's 834. But this place is supposed to be holy. Why is it important that we come to the place? This place is supposed to be holy. Hey, listen, if you're gonna come in here and you're gonna serve, you're gonna, if you're gonna come up here and sing in the choir, hey, choir, make sure your life is holy. Man, don't get up here and sing if you've got ungodly, immoral things that are going, going on in your life. Listen, if that's the case, just you might want to sit it out for a little bit. When you walk in here, make sure that we walk in clean. Make sure that we walk in with our sins confessed. Make sure that we walk in, as the songwriter said, uh, nothing between my soul and the Savior. And last of all, we're done tonight. This place is set apart for communicating truth. Now, we're done, but turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 real quick. Preacher, why is it important that you come to the place? The place, all right? Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 11 tonight. And notice what our Bible says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. This place is set apart for communicating truth. Now, in Ephesians chapter four, Paul the apostle is speaking to the church. And this is what he says in Ephesians four, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. He's speaking to the church. And some pastors and teachers, what, 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 what did he do that for? For the, for, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That word edifying is the idea of building up. Building up. Why do we come here just to go through the motions? No, no, no. We come here to be, to be built up in the faith. You don't have to turn there. Jeremiah 3, verse 15, the Bible says, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Every once in a while, churches get to the place where they start, they start moving in other things instead of preaching. I mean, and I, I'm not against a drama necessarily. If you want to have a drama, that's between you and the Lord. You know, if you want to have a play, there's nothing wrong with having a play. There's nothing sinful with having a play. There, you know, some of these other things that we do occasionally, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing sinful about them. But I'm just saying this. 
we, we better make sure that we don't let anything ever take the place of the main thing. And the main thing is that we receive this book every time we come in here so we can be built up in the faith. Well, I hope that made sense tonight. You may, uh, let's, let's bow our heads tonight. Boy, I'm so thankful I get to come to the place. What a blessing. I'm going to be honest with you, Calvary. There's a lot of folks in Ukraine that wish they could come to the place tonight. There's a lot of hurting hearts. We have folks that we minister to every single Sunday at the nursing homes. Oh, they wish they could come to the place. And people in the hospitals wish they could come to the place. And thank God God has given us the opportunity and the health, the privilege to be in this wonderful place tonight. Father, I thank you for what you've done. Thank you for teaching us tonight. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us about worship. And Father, I pray that we've learned something tonight. And I pray it's made a difference. Father, can we just do this? Can we just say thank you for this place? Thank you for this beautiful place of worship that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be a part of the family of God. What a joy, Father, to walk in these doors and to experience what we experience each and every service. Thank you, Father. My soul, we're blessed beyond measure. We pray for our brothers and sisters across the world that are not able, they don't have the freedom to come to a place. They do come to some type of a place, maybe in the woods, maybe in the forest, maybe in a basement. But Father, we're so thankful that you've given us this place. God, I pray that you'll have your way in this invitation tonight. And Lord, speak to hearts. And Father, we pray that Christ will be glorified through it all. And our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And let me ask a question or two, and we're going to go tonight. How many here this evening, you'd say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am saved. I've been born again. I'm on my way to heaven. And uh, I know that tonight. And if that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you just slip your hand up tonight and say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. Praise the Lord. You can lower your hands. Can I ask you this tonight? How many are here tonight? And you'd let me say a prayer for you. And you'd say, Pastor, I'm going to be honest. I couldn't raise my hand. And if I died tonight, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. And I care enough to let you pray for me. And you'd slip your hand up tonight. Is there one like that anywhere? And I could pray for you. All right. I see that little hand. Is there another tonight? Preacher, if I died tonight, I'm not sure of heaven. Would you pray for me? I see that hand. Is there another tonight anywhere? Pastor, if I died tonight, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Would you remember me when you pray? Is there anybody else? Can I pray for you before we go? Amen. I see that hand. I'm going to pray. Anybody else here tonight? Man, what a serious thing this is. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And I'm so thankful that we know we know the way of salvation. So, Father, I pray tonight for these that have raised their hands. Lord, I pray that you'd bring them to that place 
where they understand their condition. Lord, where they see their need of Jesus. Lord, help us to understand that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And that, Lord, we cannot save ourselves. There's nothing we can do that would save ourselves. But, Lord, you said it like this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open to me, Jesus said, I'll come in and sup with him. Lord, I pray tonight that you would draw them to yourself. And, Father, that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Father, help us to be good worshipers. Help us, Father, as we worship at Calvary. Father, help us to do better. Help us to do better at worshiping. Help me to do better at worshiping. Father, I believe we're living in the last days. God, I want to make sure that I'm practiced up for heaven. And so, Father, help us to be good worshipers. Have your way in this invitation, please. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Very, very quietly, would you, would you stand with us all over the house with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? And if you're here tonight and you've raised your hand concerning this thing of being saved, I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to make my way to the main floor in, in just a moment. And I'm just going to stand here for just a, just a few moments. And if you're here tonight and you have a need, listen, I want to invite you to come. And we, I promise you, we won't embarrass you. We just like to take the Bible and show you how you can know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven when you die. And so with the heads bowed and eyes closed, if you need to come, now's a good time. You come while we wait.